שלום. מי? יס. שלום. I have a question for you. for me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so, Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk.
<laughs> so what we just watched was a clip of an adaptation of a story that happened in John chapter 5. And what happens in John chapter 5 is that there's these multitudes of people, there's a whole bunch of people who are gathered around this pool. And, and the belief at that time, uh, what legend had at that time, what, what they believed would happen at that time, what may have happened at that time, was that uh, they believed that an angel will stir up the, the waters and, and that if you got into the water first, before anyone else, you would be healed. What you need to know about that man who was healed was that he had been there for 38 years. 38 years he was there waiting for a miracle to happen. And Jesus steps in. Jesus steps into the story and does a miraculous healing. But did you notice that there's a lot of other people sick there? Jesus doesn't go to any of the rest of them. He just goes to this one person and he heals them. And then that's it. He doesn't heal the rest of the people there. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons why is found in the fact of why John actually puts these stories into his book. John actually puts these stories into the gospel. John says that he puts these stories in as signs. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I would have talked about how John puts different signs in his book, in the gospel, and each sign points to the truth of who Jesus is, Jesus as the Messiah. And what I told you at that point was that signs in and of themselves are not the destination. They only point to the destination. So if I'm on a highway and I'm hungry and I stop and I see a sign for Wawa, I have not arrived at Wawa. I've only arrived at somewhere that's going to point me to where Wawa is and how to get there. And this healing that John does is a sign. And it tells us a little bit about who Jesus is. But there's something interesting in the story as well. Last week, so if you weren't here two weeks ago, or if you just don't remember what I spoke about because, well, frankly, you were sleeping because I was boring or something. Um, last week, I'm sure you were listening to Charles. Last week, Charles was talking about a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And what we study in the book of John is that through conversations, through these miraculous actions, through these signs, through all of these different things, we get a picture of who Jesus is, but also of what he started. And what's amazing about this story in John chapter 5 is that it's through the sign and the conversation that we learn about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus didn't just do a miraculous healing in John chapter 5. He did a scandalous healing. A scandalous healing. You see, if you were to watch that clip and you would just kind of end it there as it ended kind of abruptly over there, you would kind of feel good. Maybe you had some goosebumps and you'd be like, oh, that's a nice story. That's a nice story, Jesus healing that man. But did you notice that there were some people in the background? What about those guys who were watching from the background who had the black robes on and the hats? Those were the Jewish leaders. And they weren't too happy. Because Jesus does a scandalous healing because he heals on the Sabbath. Let's take a look at what happens in John chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 9. Jesus had just told the man to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. And so at verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. 
the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Okay, we get a little bit of foreshadowing of something that's about to come. Here's foreshadowing of the scandal. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. All right, can we just go and review for a second again? 38 years. This man is sitting there, lying there for 38 years. He has to be helped and dragged there. He has to be helped and dragged away. No one's helping him to the pool. For 38 years, he's been living there. 38 years, that's three years less than my age. It is a whole lifetime of pain and heartache. And Jesus collides into the story, and in an instant, the man is healed. And in an instant, he's able to do something he hasn't been able to do for 38 years. He picks up his mat and walks. And the Jewish leaders step in, and that, what do they do? They don't celebrate. They've seen him. They know Everyone knows this guy. He's been there for 38 years. Everyone has seen him. They don't celebrate what has happened. They don't celebrate that he's walking. They don't celebrate what God has done. No, they get indignant. They're upset. And they say to him, why are you carrying a mat? They're not even amazed that he's walking. They're just like, hey, Stop carrying that mat. What are you doing? But it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. And what you need to understand is that there's certain laws in regards to the Sabbath. There's certain commands in regards to the Sabbath. If you were to look back at the second book in the Bible, all the way at the beginning of the second book of Exodus, we look at Exodus chapter 20. We get the command of the Sabbath on, in verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Jesus deliberately heals on the Sabbath. He could have healed the man the day before. He could heal the man the day after. But he deliberately does a scandalous healing on the Sabbath. And it's only scandalous because there's an incorrect focus by these Jewish leaders. Let's go back to Exodus and look at chapter 31 as we continue to look at the command of the Sabbath. Again, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Let's skip to verse 16. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. What we need to understand is that the Sabbath is a day of rest. The Sabbath is a day of worship. But the Sabbath is also a day of celebration. It is a day of celebration. God models in his creation, he models taking time out to just spend time with what he created, with his creation, and just enjoy his creation. And then he invites in the Sabbath for his creation to do the same thing, to stop 
and pause and spend time enjoying him. But something got lost along the way. Something got lost along the way. You see, the Sabbath was supposed to be a celebration. And John links Jesus throughout his gospel. He links him to these festivals over and over again. If you'd read the beginning of John chapter 5, you'll see that there's a festival going on. But what you also need to understand is that the Sabbath itself is a festival. The Sabbath was a weekly festival. In fact, it was a weekly festival by which all other festivals were to get their inspiration from. You should look at the Sabbath, and, and that's how you were to do these other festivals. Because Jesus understood that it wasn't an obligation, but it was a delight for him to participate in these festivals. But instead of being a festival, these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders had turned the Sabbath into a dreary display of legalism. In fact, the focus of the Sabbath for them was not on celebrating God. The focus of the Sabbath was not on enjoying the time of being in the presence of the one who loves them. Instead, the focus was on answering the question, well, what is work? If the command is you shall not work, well, then how do we define work? And so the, the, the rabbis of those days, the, 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 the ones who studied, the scholars, the ones who taught all these things, they had what was called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, it told them the definition of work. And you need to understand there were 39 classes of work. 39 classes of work. 39 levels for work when it came to the Sabbath. They created a system that created more work around the concept of not doing work than the work itself. And in doing so, they missed the point of the Sabbath. And they definitely missed the point of the sign and what it says about Jesus. So Jesus does a scandalous healing, and it's scandalous because it occurs on the Sabbath. And in response, the Jewish leaders, they do not celebrate. In response, the Jewish leaders don't celebrate the miracle. Instead, they have a response of outrage. They have a response of outrage. Instead of celebrating, they have a response of outrage. And this outrage is directed at Jesus. In essence, the Jewish leaders are talking to Jesus and they're saying, how dare you? How dare you? What gives you the right? What gives you the authority? How dare you do this? And in what should have been a setting of joy and celebration ends up becoming a setting of darkness and hostility. Verse 16 of John chapter 5. It's talking about the Jewish leaders and it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They began to persecute him. Again, how dare you? What is your authority here? We're going to get you for doing this. Not celebration, but persecution. And Jesus responds, and he makes his defense. He makes his defense. But what you need to understand is that it does nothing to calm down these Jewish leaders. In fact, his defense only infuriates the Jewish leaders more. When I was younger, my dad took me camping with uh, some friends of mine and their dads. And what you need to understand is that all of us were born and raised in New York City. There were no Eagle Stouts, Merit badges or whatever those things are called going on at that camping trip. And so my dad and another dad, they're trying to light a fire and rather unsuccessfully, and they thought they would be able to create this fire and cook 
over this fire, but it's, it's, not, it's just kind of smoldering a little bit. Like it's not really, there's just a little bit of flames, but nothing much. He's certainly something, not something you can cook on. And then one of my friend's dad, his name was Hector. Hector has a bright idea. He goes to the back of his truck, takes out a can of gasoline. See, you all are not from New York. <laughs> you know this is a bad idea. Do not do this. So he goes and he takes the gasoline. He goes, watch out. I'll show you how it's done. He begins to pour the gasoline. That flame goes and travels up that stream of gasoline. Boom, hits the gas can. He drops it on the floor. Then another dad named Tony has the bright idea to kick the can. And it goes underneath the truck. God somehow protected us because the fire went out. Nothing happened. Needless to say, we ate cold SpaghettiOs that night. Now, why did you all kind of have a reaction when I said he grabbed a, a, a can of gasoline? Simple. You never pour gasoline on a fire. It's dangerous. Don't pour gasoline on a fire. Jesus pours gasoline on the fire. Jesus definitely pours gasoline on the fire in his responses. Let's rattle off a few of those responses. And if you have time this week, go and read John chapter 5 because Jesus' responses, Jesus' statements are amazing. They are outrageous and powerful. First, Jesus says that his father is always at work. And so he must work. That might not sound outrageous to you right now sitting in a church in 2022 in Sowerton, Pennsylvania. But it is an outrageous statement to say in Jesus' culture and time. Look at the reactions. Look at the reactions of the Jewish leaders when he says this. He says that his father's always at work, so he also has to be at work. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus makes statements of his divinity throughout this whole chapter. Jesus makes statements that are equating equality with God throughout this whole chapter. He says that the Father is always working, so I must also work. And what you need to understand is that the Jewish rabbis at that time culturally understood that God was always working, even on the Sabbath. But what you need to understand was that they said, that's God. We're not God. People have to obey the laws of the Sabbath. God, he's exempt from these laws. And what Jesus is saying when he makes this statement is like, well, the Father's always working, I have to work. He's making this radical claim of divinity. And it just, it just makes them angrier and angrier. And then Jesus goes on. He goes on to say that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And then he says, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever. He's not saying some of the thing the Father does, the Son does. No, he's saying whatever the Father does. Whatever it is, creation, whatever it is, forgiveness, whatever it is, whatever the Father does, the Son does. He's making this, this claim of authority, this divine authority, that is making these Jewish leaders outraged. And then he goes on and gives an example in verse 21. He says, just like the Father gives life, so does the Son. Jesus is saying that he can give life. These are infuriating statements. We read the passage and we kind of read it with like a church mindset or, or maybe a detached mindset. I don't know what it is. But these statements are really, really radical in Jesus' time. And then, okay, then, then Jesus goes on 
again in verse 23. If that, if that wasn't enough, Jesus goes on again in verse 23, and he says this, all need to honor the Son just as they honor the Father. All need to honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He says that whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Do you understand what that statement means? He's saying that he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of the same honor that you give the Father. He keeps going on. He talks about how he is the one with authority to judge and that believing in him brings life. All of this is just pouring gas onto the fire. Continue to pour gas onto the fire. He does a scan to the ceiling. There's a response of outrage. And Jesus is like, I'm pouring gas onto that fire because you're not getting it. You're not understanding who it is that's talking to you. Any one of these statements in the culture of Jesus, any one of these statements in the time of Jesus was worthy of a punishment of death. Any one of these statements. And Jesus fires them off in rapid fire in his defense. And this all happens because Jesus deliberately chose to heal on the Sabbath. He instigated this whole thing by healing on the Sabbath. But again, the sign itself isn't the destination. The sign only points to the destination. Last week, Charles was talking about how Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And basically what the, the gist of that was that true cleansing comes from Jesus. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that true cleansing comes from me. And, and then Charles said, what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? You need God and I'm bringing God to you. You need God and I am here. I am bringing God to you. This same theme is, is fueling this, this sign, what it's pointing to, in the scandal at the pool of Bethesda. And it's also one of the saddest ironies in the story. It's also one of the saddest ironies in the story. The Sabbath was all about God being with his people and delighting in them. And letting them delight in him. Jesus is God and he's literally with the people. And they miss it. They missed it. Instead of celebrating, they respond in outrage. Instead of celebrating, they respond with outrage. Instead of celebrating the restoration of this man, instead of celebrating the miracle that has happened. Instead of praising God, the Jewish leaders have a response of outrage and they are furious. How dare you, Jesus? How dare you? Only God can work on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is, exactly. Exactly. That's his response. So he does a scandalous healing and then there's a response of outrage. Jesus just pours gasoline on that fire because he wants them to get it. He wants them to get who it is that's with them, who it is that they're talking to. And then he flips the script. And then he flips the script. Jesus flips the script throughout this entire story. Let's start with the man. The man has been there for 38 years. 38 years, he's unable to walk. 38 years, he's staring at a pool and thinking that that pool, that that pool of water is the answer. 38 years, he's staring at a pool of water and goes, that 
is my ticket. And Jesus steps into the story and says, that pool has nothing for you. I'm the ticket. I'm the ticket. And then he tells the man to pick up his mat and walk. What happens if the man would have said, no thanks. This mat's kind of comfortable. I'm going to stay here. Doesn't make much sense. You're like, why would he do that? Well, isn't that what many of us do sometimes? Isn't that what society sometimes tells us when we are suffering from something and there's a reason? The man, what is he saying? I have no one. I have no one. He keeps focusing on, on all of the things that are wrong in his life, on all of the things that I'm on this mat. Don't you see how bad it is for me? And doesn't society tell us all the time, you're justified. Just stay there. Just stay on that mat. You're justified in that. It's more comfortable here on this mat. Even though I don't like it, even though it's a source of pain, I'm afraid of what's going to be asked of me if I get up and walk. Jesus flips the script. He says, stop. That pool has nothing for you. That mat has nothing for you. It's me you need. Get up and walk. Get up and pick up that mat and walk. You see, what Jesus is really concerned about in this passage is spiritual healing. Again, if you were to look at the healings that Jesus does in the Bible over and over and over again, what you'll see, it's not really about the physical healing. It's about the eternal spiritual message that Jesus is saying. And then Jesus goes back to this man. He goes back to this man at the temple. And he continues the conversation. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, I read different scholars as I prepared for this message. I read different commentaries, and there were a lot of scholars that pointed to this, and they said, look, here's what you need to understand. That sickness is not necessarily the result of someone's personal sin. They said, we see that in the Bible. But clearly, in this passage, clearly what it's showing us is that this man must have sinned something or else Jesus wouldn't have said stop sinning. So, so sick, this sickness that this man has had for 30 years must be from some sort of sin. A lot of commentaries wrote that. I completely disagree. I completely disagree. I don't think that's what's happening at all in this. I think what happened was that this man traded one mat for another. This man was focused on the pool. He was focused on the pool of water and was just like, that's my answer. That's what I need. He gets healed. He gets confronted by Jewish leaders and in fear, he's like, okay. What I need is to not get them upset. What I need is to not frustrate them. What I need is to get their approval. He just trades one mat for another. And Jesus is like, you're doing it again. And this is even worse. This isn't about you walking. This is about eternity. Don't look to the Jewish leaders. Look to me. Don't look to the Jewish leaders to, 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 to solve all your answers. Look to me. And the truth is, we don't really even know if the man gets it. Because he goes and reports Jesus. And I'm sorry, I don't think he went over to, G, to those Jewish leaders uh, with a celebrating heart. I don't think he went over and music was playing. He was like, let me tell you about my Jesus. 
I don't think that happened. I think he was motivated by fear. He was like, hey, it was Jesus. Matt thing, that wasn't me, that was Jesus. We just don't know if he gets it. Maybe he did eventually, maybe he didn't. But Jesus is like, stop sinning, stop looking to the wrong thing. Remember at the beginning we had that video clip. Jesus talks to the man, he says, he doesn't need the water, there's nothing there for him. Just so you know, that's not in the Bible. That, that, that conversation doesn't occur in the Bible, that part of the conversation. But I do think that the adaptation actually gets at some of the essence of the conversation. Between the two conversations, Jesus is like, you don't need this pool. You don't need this mat. You don't need the approval of the Jewish leaders. What you need is me. You need to be focused on me. And Jesus is warning the man, don't make the mistake again. You're going to do the same thing again. You're looking to the wrong place. Jesus flips the script. He's like, you think this is the way it should go. You think this is the way your story should go. It's not. Your story needs to go towards me. Then he blatantly, blatantly, blatantly flips the script later on in the chapter. But this time it's towards the Jewish leaders. Because what we learn is that the Jewish leaders actually had their own mat. They actually had their own mat. Let's go back to John chapter 5 and go to verse 39. Jesus, in, referring to, in reference to the Jewish leaders, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. <sighs> that stings, right? That stings a little bit. That's a very strong statement by Jesus. It's like you're looking in the wrong places. For these people, it was in their intellectual knowledge of the Scripture. For them, it was in their religious observance of customs and traditions and even laws. It was based on their ability. It was based on their knowledge. And Jesus says, you're missing it. It's not any of those things. It's me. It's me. Last week, Charles ended his sermon with a question. And in this conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus last week, Charles said the question was, what are you depending on? And in that conversation, what was going on is what he was referring to was there was an incorrect dependence on our own work and our own actions. So he's like, what are you depending on? Jesus takes it a step further in chapter 5. It's not just the dependence on our own actions our own abilities that's wrong. It's anything, whether it's pool of water that could get stirred up, whether it's being comfortable on a mat, whether it's being able to observe the uh, Jewish laws or understand the scriptures, whatever it is, it's not enough. The only one we can depend on is Jesus. So what are you depending on today? What are you depending on for life? What are you depending on for that purpose or for that fulfillment or for, if I just had this, then life would be good. I'm not necessarily talking about salvation. I'm talking about just life. What are you depending on? If is it just like, well, 
Maybe it's that boyfriend or that girlfriend or if it's that number of likes on my status or if it's that job or if it's that I want to be in this situation, but I'm not. I want to be in this situation. Whatever it is you're depending on, if the focus is not Jesus, stop. Stop. Because it's futile. It's futile. Jesus is the only source of life. He is the only source of life. Anything else is pointless. It's pointless. See, Jesus does a scandalous healing on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders have a response of outrage and demand answers. And Jesus' answers equate him to God. And that infuriates them even more. They're angrier. And then Jesus flips the script and he reveals the point of the sign. The point of the sign is that he is God. And it is he who provides life. It is he who provides spiritual healing. It is he who we need to focus on. So maybe today we need to end with a different question. This time, maybe the question is simply the one that Jesus asked. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That one thing that's kind of held you captive or that one thing that keeps you bitter, that one thing that you're kind of striving for, that life just isn't enough unless I have this. Do you want to be healed? Because there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that can take the place of Jesus. And so if you're trying to find it in something other than Jesus, stop. Stop. Jesus is God. He is the source of life. All power and authority is his. And he's saying to you, Get off the mat, pick it up, and walk. Walk towards him. This Sabbath, let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the one with all power and with all authority. And then let's celebrate. Let's celebrate with hearts of joy. Why? Because the God of the universe has chosen to make a way for us to be with him. And that way is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for that goodness and your love and your mercy and your kindness and your grace. And you, Lord, we ask you that you would just open up our eyes. That we would be able to just spend time with you and just enjoy that time with you. That if there's anything else in our lives that are kind of coming in the way, whether it's something we're clinging to, some sort of desire, some sort of relationship, some sort of goal or aspiration, or even something that is negative in our life, it just feels better to kind of hold it close and whatever it is, just strip it away. Lord, we ask you that you would be the center of our lives and our ultimate focus. Lord, if there's anything that is holding anyone in this room just captive, I ask you that you would break it, that you would release it, that you would completely take it away, that your power and authority would just flood into this room and you would just take it away. For anyone who's watching online, I ask you to do the same thing, that you would just release them from it. Lord, we just thank you.
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.